Welcome to the Trust Your Gut Podcast. I'm your host, Demi Fair. Here we dive into the world of the mind-body connection, exploring the gut-brain axis, microbiome, and nervous system while harnessing the power of intuition and connection to spirit. If you struggle with chronic digestive and mental stress and are tired of trying just one more diet or supplement to address your symptoms, then this is the place for you. Join me as we learn from the world of science and medicine, but also from nature, our own inner knowing, and personal stories. Thank you for tuning in, and now it's time to trust your gut. Hello and welcome to today's episode, which is all about the top 10 mistakes you are making when it comes to your gut-brain health. Now, there are more than 10 mistakes that I have identified, either from my own experience and the things that I didn't pay much attention to or utilize or that I got a little bit stuck on and spent maybe too much time there. And a lot of these are the same mistakes that I see in my clients. But today I wanted to make it a really nice manageable amount to take in. So I picked out what I believe are the top 10 most common mistakes that I see when people are looking to support their gut health and mental health and the overall health of their gut brain. And these things are the ones that might be what is keeping you stuck in a cycle of symptoms or not really getting to where you want to be. So the first one is nervous system dysregulation. And if you follow my work, you will hear me emphasize over and over again how important regulating the nervous system is. In fact, I believe that our chronic digestive and mental health symptoms, as well as any other chronic symptoms, can be traced back to the nervous system and nervous system dysregulation. I believe that is what is at the root of these symptoms and therefore is the missing piece to solving your chronic gut-brain symptoms. This is particularly true when we have chronic gut issues as overactivation of specifically our sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight or flight branch of our autonomic nervous system. It shuts down our digestive function. It funnels blood away from the digestive tract and it prioritizes getting the body ready to fight or flee to take action. And digestion is not something our body is going to be doing in that time. So if we are not paying attention to our nervous system and starting to understand our nervous system response like knowing what activates us or what it feels like to be in sympathetic or in parasympathetic state. 
when we understand that part of ourselves, then we know how to self-regulate in the moments when we're overactivated and we need to soothe our system. And that's what helps us build more resiliency to stressors that happen in our day-to-day and prevent any further aggravation of our chronic symptoms. So nervous system dysregulation can be the cause of gut symptoms such as IBS, constipation, diarrhea, heartburn, bloating, gas, stomach pain, food sensitivities, and also symptoms we experience in the brain like anxiety, obsessive or racing thoughts, worry, fear, hypervigilance, panic attacks, or kind of the other side of the coin, which is depression, apathy, dissociation, exhaustion, and avoidance, among many other things we can see in a lot of different systems of the body. So there is so much about nervous system dysregulation and how it happens, why it happens, and this will be an entirely different episode where I'm going to go more in depth on the nervous system. But if you're interested in learning more and really understanding how your nervous system affects your gut-brain connection and your gut-brain symptoms, then I encourage you to check out a free guide that I have for you. The link is in the show notes. It's called Why Your Healthy Diet Isn't Solving Your Gut Issues. And in addition, the rest of the mistakes I'm going to list are all pretty much directly related to a dysregulated nervous system. So really, this is the foundation. This is the root cause. And most other symptoms and things that aggravate your symptoms stem from this foundation. All right, on to number two. This is probably the most common thing I see in clients, and it was definitely my biggest hurdle and the area that I suffered in and focused on for way too long. That mistake number two is a hyper-focus on diet or too restrictive of a diet. So first of all, when we hyper-focus when we put a lot of attention, time, and energy on having the most perfect, clean diet in which we avoid all food that may trigger our gut symptoms, this can aggravate and bring about more obsessive thinking, more controlling and control issues, needing to be in control of everything that we eat and every situation we might be in, where we're eating, and bring about much more stress and anxiety around food and beyond food. We're just bringing more anxiety to our day-to-day life if we're being anxious about food. And that's not helping your symptoms. Nutrition and diet is just one piece of the puzzle. And it's an important one. But it is not often the root cause of your chronic symptoms. So if you find you are focusing all your time and energy into this place and not seeing improvement or hitting a plateau, 
then that's an indication you are still focusing on treating just the symptoms and not the root cause. You've probably experienced food fear, especially if you've explored elimination diets and found that you were feeling better on one or feeling better after you took out a certain food. Or sometimes we hear that certain foods aren't good for us and we end up avoiding an entire macronutrient, such as carbohydrates. It's a really common one. Or we might avoid fruit because we're afraid it could feed our candida or just be too much sugar. Or we avoid FODMAPs. Or we avoid fill-in-the-blank, whatever it may be that you come across. Now, that food fear is what? It's creating more fear, anxiety, stress around what we're eating and that experience of eating and how things are digesting and what happens when we bring more stress into our body and our mind. It's going to impact our gut brain and how it's operating. And another thing I see in this arena is following a certain protocol that you may have heard of is really good for gut health. So again, that's something like a certain diet like low FODMAP or candida diet or a GAPS diet. And these all have their place. They can be really powerful healing methods if your stool tests show that they are needed. The other key here is that they are meant to be temporary. They're not meant to be a life long protocol that you follow. And most of these do cut out foods that are good for our gut bugs. FODMAPs especially. FODMAPs are prebiotics, the foods that our gut bugs love to eat. And that's why it feels good to cut them out when we do have SIBO or dysbiosis because we're probably feeding a lot of the bad bacteria. But we also want to get our good bacteria that food too. So this is where we have to be really careful about following these protocols when we don't actually know what's going on in our gut or doing it for too long because being that restrictive can actually be detrimental to our microbiome balance in the long run. This also happens with just cutting out starchy vegetables and fruits, which we often see with the candida diet. Those are also things that our good bacteria loves to eat, and we want to make sure we are getting those foods into our body and feeding those gut bugs. So those are the main things I see happening with a hyper-focus on diet or too restrictive of a diet. On to number three, a hyper-focus on supplements or the wrong supplements. So supplements are to do exactly as their name implies, to supplement proper nutrition, diet, lifestyle habits, and a regulated nervous system. They are not the end-all answer, and you certainly don't need a whole medicine cabinet that you take every day. And I have been there, oh yes. I don't even know how much money I've spent on supplements over the years, and how many times I would get into deep research to figure out what I needed to take and mulling over it and stressing over it and overthinking it all and trying to find the perfect thing that would solve my issues. How many times I thought maybe this one supplement will be the thing 
to solve my issues, to solve my digestive symptoms. And they never did. That's not to say they weren't helpful when I utilized a supplement that my body really needed, but we want to make sure we are taking the right one for us. Now, what can happen is similar to finding a nutritional protocol that is supposed to be good for gut health. We might look at a supplement protocol that we hear of or a certain supplement that is supposed to be good for gut Let's take a probiotic-prebiotic combination, for example. So most of us have heard about probiotics, and we have heard how good they are for our gut health. And in general, that's really true, but it really depends on what is going on in your microbiome and what type of probiotic you take. Now we start to hear things about prebiotics and how we need to take prebiotics to really make the probiotics work because the prebiotics are what the probiotics eat. But we might find that prebiotics make us feel horrible. They make us feel bloated and gassy, and that could be because we have something going on in our microbiome, some certain overgrowth, that is not going to handle the prebiotic very well especially in that form, and we need to do a little bit of healing before we can actually take that in, or a little bit of healing and the proper type of probiotic to really target something in our microbiome that we need to grow more of before we really know which probiotic supplement to take. So we often end up taking the wrong supplements we might end up supporting something further down in the track when actually something higher up needs our support first. And if you want to understand that a little bit more, then go back and listen to episode three where I walk you through the entire digestive process from the top to bottom. And we understand that digestion starts in the brain and everything cascades down from there. So if we're trying to address maybe some sort of dysbiosis in the large intestine, but really we aren't producing enough stomach acid and properly breaking down our food at that point in the stomach, and too big of particles are being sent down and maybe some enzymes are being missed and the food is staying around way too long and contributing to that dysbiotic environment. Another thing that is common is too much focus on eradication supplements and not enough nourishment. So eradication supplements are things like antimicrobials, antibacterials, things that you want to use to kill off that dysbiotic bacteria, the overgrowth that you may have, Stuff that's meant to kind of come in and cleanse things out. Well, this is a really intense process on the gut and the microbiome. And we want to pay attention to this system of when we are stabilizing and when we're destabilizing. This is really important to pay attention to in chronic health patterns. So when the system is stabilized, when 
you are feeling like your mental well-being is good, hormones feel good, everything feels pretty stabilized in your being, that's a good time to do that gut clearing and dysbiosis clearing. But when things start crying out, maybe you start to experience more anxiety or your sleep starts to get poor or you are feeling a lot more overwhelmed maybe you're just feeling more activated maybe your hormones are feeling a little out of balance your gut symptoms are flaring up that's an indication it's time to nourish for a while keep your systems nourished and stable and focus on restoring and calming and detoxifying so just because we have found an overgrowth in our symptom doesn't mean we just hit it with eradication supplements. All right, we're on to mistake number four, which is negative self-talk. So I'm going to encourage you to go listen to episode four, the most important piece to your healing journey, if you haven't yet. Then you will know exactly what I'm talking about. I will just say quickly here that if you talk negatively to yourself when you're feeling anxious or depressed or your gut symptoms flare up, does that help you? Does that help you feel better in the moment? No. It adds more fuel to the fire, especially if our symptoms are due to dysregulation in our nervous system, our inner child wounds or traumas. Talking negatively to ourselves will further aggravate these traumas and wounds and dysregulation and make everything worse. Mistake number five. This is eating in a sympathetic nervous system state or a stressed out state. So digestion begins in the brain. This is something you'll probably hear me say so many times. What I mean by this is that we need to be in a parasympathetic rest and digest state to enable our digestive function and properly break down, digest, and absorb the food we eat and receive the nutrients from them. So as I mentioned in the first mistake, if our nervous system is dysregulated and we're stuck in a sympathetic overactivation often, or just if we're under stress and feeling stressed out, while we're eating, or if we are rushed, we're eating on the go, we are standing, we are driving, we are distracted, we are feeling upset, we are in an argument. If we are in any of those kinds of states while we're eating, we're not going to digest our food very well and we're probably going to have some flare-ups after. Mistake number six is over-exercising. So too much exercise or too intense, high-intensity, strenuous exercise is very hard on the gut. Strenuous exercise or over-exercising is a stressor to the body. And as with any stressor, it releases stress hormones such as cortisol. And when we have increased levels of cortisol in our body that can contribute to creating leaky gut. So these high levels of cortisol will act directly on our intestinal cells by weakening the junctions between them. 
And so if you go through a high period of stress, this is why you may experience more gas and bloating and indigestion. And this is the same thing that exercise can do for us. It might induce these stress levels, which raise our cortisol levels and therefore affect our gut lining the same way that life stressors do because our bodies can't tell the difference between an increase in cortisol due to stress from a argument or from a new job or a move or an increase in cortisol due to strenuous exercise. It's all the same to the body. Stress is stress is stress. So this isn't to say that having strenuous exercise or high-intensity exercise is quote-unquote bad because some stress to the body is actually a good thing and this is a more positive form of stress to the body. We just need to be mindful of how much we're doing and for how long and what else is going on in our body at that time. So I'll touch on that here in a moment, but I also want to share what else strenuous exercise can do to our gut. So it can also directly impact our microbiome, and there are studies that show that it can decrease our beneficial bacteria and therefore increase the opportunistic dysbiotic bacteria. This is also directly related to the increase in cortisol. So also consider the nervous system and that when we are under stress, we are in that sympathetic fight or flight branch, which inhibits digestion. So this is all kind of a nice cocktail for just putting more stress and cortisol into our day-to-day life. And I was in this pattern for a really long time. And in hindsight, I can now see how over-exercising contributed to many of my gut issues. They may have not started from over-exercising, but I didn't help anything by doing so much strenuous exercise. And I did it out of my need to be in control and manage anxiety and find, you know, a outlet for energy that was really coming from my nervous system being stuck in a more sympathetic fight or flight response. I needed to move and, you know, deal with that kind of overactivated energy. And essentially, it was a form of a response to trauma or a protective mechanism. And actually, a very fascinating thing happened to me about a year and a half ago. I lost 20 pounds that I didn't even have an intention of losing. It was like this energetic, emotional stress weight that I had held onto from pushing my body so hard for so long. And once I reduced my exercise intensity and started working with my nervous system in a different way, going to therapy regularly and finding more regulating resources that's when I dropped the weight. And it's not that weight really matters or is such an indication, but it can be a really clear picture of how our body holds on to energy in different ways. Now, I am an athlete who does some long, intense days in the mountains, and I notice that it really impacts my gut. 
But do I want to stop doing these things? No, I don't. (laughs) But I am better about making sure I'm nourishing my body well with enough food and getting enough of a macronutrient balance and hydration and just keeping my overall stress levels and nervous system more regulated on the regular. And finding that balance where I'm taking really good rest time in between any of these bigger, more strenuous things that I do and adding in more low-intensity nurturing things. So do your high-intensity strenuous workouts or big days outdoors, but make sure you are getting good sleep, that you are not under an intense amount of stress and eat enough food to support yourself and in the in-between balance it with the low intensity of movement such as walking, hiking, gentle bike rides, yoga. Because if you already have underlying gut issues, that high intensity strenuous exercise, especially if you don't eat enough along with it, it's going to aggravate your gut issues and cause flare-ups. This is such a big topic that I actually want to create an entire episode about exercise in your gut. So look out for that if this is an area that piques your curiosity. Okay, mistake number seven. This is looking for the answers in Google and not within yourself. So how many of us go to Google searching for the answers to our symptoms and leave feeling more confused and overwhelmed. We only have so much capacity for taking in information, and we're taking in a lot all the time, every day. There's a ton of information out there, and some of it can be really conflicting. It can tell you one thing is good, and another that says, no, that's bad, and this is good, and it's really easy to get bogged down in this stuff. So... This is different than seeking external help and support. Seeking external help and support is really important. However, we really want that help to support us in tuning into our own body and intuition. So that is like seeking support through a practitioner, coach, or therapist who helps you access your own healing potential and tune into your body. So what changes for you when you listen to what your body is saying it needs versus following what you found that helps someone else? If all our microbiomes are completely different and we are all different, can we find the pathway that works best for us instead of following the step-to-step that someone else did? This is what I like to teach in Trust Your Gut because everyone has this innate resource and health in their system. We just need to learn how to listen to it and listen to the body. I believe the body will guide you to ultimate healing. And that's the beautiful thing about learning how to self-regulate and build resiliency and understand your nervous system responses and even understanding your unique microbiome and what works best for you. That gives you so much empowerment in your healing. You understand what your body needs. You understand what's happening when a flare-up happens. You don't freak out. You know how to work through it. You know it will pass. You know how to tune into your unique body 
and use that as a tool to heal. Okay, number eight is that you are using talk therapy and mostly top-down processes. First of all, good job going to therapy or talking to friends or family about things that you need to process. Verbal processing is really helpful for most people. I love verbal processing. I am such a verbal processor. It really helps me consolidate, reflect, and integrate on the things I'm learning. However, it keeps me really in my mind. And with someone who tends to have obsessive thinking and a very overactive mind, it can kind of keep me up there. So when we go to talk therapy or we just turn to verbal processing through something, we're still just working with the mind. And remember, our mind and body are connected, so we want to work with both. We consider that 80 to 90% of the information between our body and brain travels from the body to the brain, with just 10 to 20% traveling from the brain to body. So if your body is sending the majority of the signals and it's sending messages that it is unsafe, under stress, or under threat, whether that's from nervous system dysregulation, chronic stress, unprocessed trauma, or inflammation in the gut, then it's going to overpower all the great mindset work or talk therapy you are doing. Have you had an experience where you maybe had some realization, some new awareness about yourself, and you're so excited to change, to change your mindset, to put this into practice, and then you find yourself falling back into those patterns you were so gung-ho about changing? This is it can be so difficult to make changes when we're just operating from the mind and awareness because we also want to work with the body. So verbal processing is a top-down approach. So that's where the mind is influencing the body. And these are things such as talk therapy, meditation, reflection, journaling. However, verbal processing is not enough to truly move and heal trauma and dysregulation in our body. We need to go into the body for that. We need to first approach from the bottom up, from the body to the brain, and then we can bring in those effective top-down approaches such as meditation and verbal processing. We like to utilize both. So I talk about this and a list of different practices for top-down and bottom-up approaches in my free guide that you can get in the link in the show notes. All right, we're coming up to the last two. Number nine is a lack of sleep. Oh, sleep. We all know it's important for us. It's a really simple thing for the most part. A lot of us may have issues falling asleep or staying asleep, and it's not so simple. But it is something that is so commonly cut from to get a little bit more work done, to do X, Y, and Z. Oh, you know, I don't need that much sleep. Or we get so used to not getting enough sleep. But there are so many reasons that sleep is important for us. And it's extremely important when it comes to the health of our gut, its microbiome, and the brain and nervous system. 
So first of all, this is where our tissues and cells get to grow, repair, and rebuild. So our brain uses this time for replaying experiences and solidifying memories and cleansing toxins. Our brain uses about 20 to 25% of the calories we burn every day. Our brain cells use this energy throughout the day and end up producing waste made up of chemicals, many of them that are toxic. To flush these toxic waste products out of the brain, we need sleep. During sleep, our brain cells shrink 60% to increase the space between them and allow these toxins to be flushed more effectively into the bloodstream and eliminated through our stool and urine. So if we don't get adequate sleep, these toxic byproducts can build up in the brain, impacting our mental state and moods, our brain function, and every other system in our body. Now, this may sound really intense, and I don't want you to worry that you have toxic chemicals building in your brain, but I'm just emphasizing why inadequate sleep is so important and how it can be linked to so many health conditions. And there's a lot of research out there on all the things that inadequate sleep contributes to, such as different disease risk or increase in appetite hormones and obesity, inflammation and infection. And I'm not going to be going into all these points here, but I do want to talk about how sleep and the microbiome are linked. So there is emerging evidence that sleep has a direct effect on the gut microbiome. And there's still a lot we don't know. We're really just scratching the surface, especially when it comes to how sleep changes that balance of our gut microbiome. But we do know that digestive health can play a role in how well someone sleeps and sleep can affect how well the digestive system functions. So we are starting to see that the balance in our microbiome can and does impact our sleep and our quality and length of sleep can impact our microbiome. It's a two-way street, just like the gut-brain connection. And this is the same with our nervous system. Since sleep is such a critical time for body and brain repair, it directly affects our nervous system health if we're not getting enough of it. It's an important aspect of healing and regulating the nervous system and the microbiome and reducing overall stress, which we know can have a negative impact on our gut health and our nervous system health. So the question is, how much sleep? It is recommended that adults get seven to nine hours of sleep every night, but we want to keep in mind how long it actually takes us to fall asleep once we turn out the lights in bed and if we wake up during the night, because those times don't count towards that grand sleep total. And the idea of catching up on sleep on the weekends, yeah, unfortunately, that doesn't really work. There are studies that show just one night of lost sleep can have a negative impact on the brain, body, and immune system that will not be fully solved by just trying to catch up on sleep later. So the damage from sleep missed in the moment is cumulative and it can take years to repair. So if we're spending the weekdays staying up late, busting out more work and trying to make up for the sleep on the weekends, we're not actually going to be able to make up for that and repair the damage that was already done during the week. 
So there is a ton around this topic of sleep, and it is one that could use its own episode. So if you are interested in this topic, or really any of the other mistakes that I've listed on this episode today and want to hear more about them in a solo episode, please reach out to me through a DM and let me know. And I would be happy to create that. Okay, we have made it to number 10, the last mistake on our episode today. Number 10 is that you are trying to do it all on your own. So I have this favorite quote from Peter Levine that says, only you can do it, but you can't do it alone. We don't heal alone. We're social mammals that require the presence of other nervous systems for critical developmental aspects and our ability to co-regulate with each other, which is vital for healing trauma. We need another resourced person to co-regulate with to transform our trauma. You can also consider how we are so dependent on co-regulation for our young years when our brain's body and the concept of self are developing. We are dependent on co-regulating and attuning to our caregiver, so much so that we can die without it. And this is also the exact space where so much of our trauma is experienced in dysregulation with our caregivers and in attachment wounds. So if a trauma happened in that type of attachment or co-regulation space, it makes sense that we need to also heal in that space again. It needs to mimic the same felt sense of that space. So how do we do that without another to help us heal that? We also have such a deep need to be a part of a tribe and a greater community. And so that can also be a space where we find the most healing and where we can experience trauma if we felt abandoned, neglected, or pushed out or bullied. So we don't experience trauma alone. There is often always a relational factor to it. So not getting emotional, physical needs met, being neglected, someone who left, walked away, wasn't there to help, being told to stop crying or feeling what we were feeling, or being abused. So again, we need to be able to be in that same kind of felt sense that the trauma was experienced to heal it and often Some of the most healing things are when we can co-regulate with someone in that space and process through it. We all need support and we all have experienced trauma to some degree. And even if we are not ready to really work with any trauma, if we're dealing with nervous system dysregulation or high levels of stress and anxiety or persistent gut issues that are really affecting the quality of your life, you are going to find 
the most help through all of that with support. Honestly, sometimes I feel like just talking to someone else about what I'm going through, having them listen and give me ideas, recommendations, ask me questions I haven't thought of myself has been so healing in itself. I don't even know that it had anything to do with the protocol that we actually landed on. I tried to do this all on my own for so long and I spent so much time and energy trying to Google things and figure it out and do it on my own and so much money and I was left with frustration over and over again. And it was really once I truly got consistent support, external support that I showed up to with integrity that's when I began to see the greatest shifts happening. And it wasn't like someone told me something new that I didn't know. Luckily, all the time, energy and money I spent trying to figure this out gave me a lot of information to now help others in this path. But it was more that they held this space and this mirror up to me that I could maybe see things I wasn't noticing, wasn't looking at, and honestly just having a regulated person who's caring and empathetic to listen to you is so extremely healing. So I really think it's about finding that balance of learning how to self-regulate and bring about resiliency in our day-to-day life. That is certainly important. There's so many things we can do to self-soothe and nourish our body on a nutritional level or nervous system level, but it's also about co-regulation for that deeper healing and connection that we all need that we can't do on our own. It's blending the two. And that's really the pathway to healing. So there you have it. Those are the top 10 mistakes that you're making when it comes to your chronic gut brain symptoms. I hope this gave you something today to really take with you and maybe make a shift in your life. Maybe look further into something. Maybe it will open up a door for you to find a deeper level of healing or a way through some symptoms that you've been struggling with for a long time. As always, I look forward to hearing from you if you ever want to reach out. Thank you so much for being here. Hope you have a resilient and regulated day. Before you go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe, leave a rating or review, and share it. That helps it reach others who will benefit from this information. So much gratitude for you. Have a beautiful day.